0: Troubled? I remember what you said. You'll return that I might live in my father's house.
1: Is God enough for you? Really? Think about that. Someone might respond to that question and say, "Well, uh, what does our, what does that reward consist of? What can I earn? What can I do?" What can I know? You know, are you disappointed that God offers Himself to you? Well, you know, probably you don't understand what God is offering you. So what does it mean to have God as our exceeding great reward? Well, it means, first of all, that we share in all that God has.
0: God Himself is the great reward and prize as you make it to the end of your race here on earth. As Pastor Mike continues his teaching series through the book of Genesis, He'll be explaining how only God can fill the void that is in every soul of man. Everyone is born with a God-shaped void. And sadly, people try to fill this void with all sorts of things. But only God can satisfy. This is why so many get caught up in various addictions and even materialism, because they don't have God as their reward. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 15 as he continues his message, Our Defense and Great Reward. You
1: The Bible throughout announces, both in the Old and New Testament, those things that God will shield us against. And this serves as our first point, so if you're taking notes, write this down. Let me say it again. Those things that God will shield us against. And to help us remember these things when we're faced with our own problems and calamity and circumstances, think of it as the big four, okay? Just simply think of it as the big four, now, the first of the big four is God will shield us from our enemies. Now, when I think of someone who had enemies, I can't help but think of David. Because David knew this well, that God shielded him from his own enemies. I mean, he had, he had all sorts of enemies on all fronts. We're talking hostile nations around Israel, old friends of the former king, Saul, Factions within his own government, rebels within his own family. Remember, his own son Absalom sought to unseat him as king over Israel and replace his father as king. He put a hit out on his dad. He put out a contract on his wife. So David knew what it meant to be shielded by God. He knew the protective power of God. Let me give you a cross reference for this. But you know, think about this. Many of the Psalms are written out of the men who wrote those Psalms, life's experience, and all of the struggles, and all of the difficulties, and all of the coming up against enemies that were larger than themselves. David was the writer of many of those Psalms, and he's sharing out of his own personal testimony, conviction and experience in knowing God and walking with God. So when you're faced with your own series of circumstances, where you feel as if your back is up against the wall, I would encourage you to appeal to the book of Psalms. And I suspect that you'll find something to be extremely encouraging there. But the cross-reference that I want to share with you is not from the book of Psalms. Uh, It's rather taken from 2 Samuel in chapter 22, in verses 2 through 4. And he said, that is David, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. In verse 3, the God of my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you saved me from violence. And then verse 4, I called to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and have been saved from my enemies. There you have it. So, the first of the big four is God will shield you from your enemies. Now, someone at this point may be thinking, well, Pastor Mike, you know, I, I really don't have any enemies to speak of. Well, let me just, just as a consideration, something to think about, okay? And I'm not trying to chide you or, or you know, give you a bad time or, or even convict you, but just something to consider. If you are able to say here this morning, that you don't have any enemies, well, listen, you know what? You're probably not a a dynamic witness for Christ. I I mean, even him, that is Jesus, had his enemies. In John's Gospel in chapter 15, in verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, if they hate me, if they persecute me, they'll also hate you and persecute you as well. So, if you do have enemies... Or if you encounter them, for the gospel's sake, you can be sure that God will be your shield against them. And you be sure of that. But then also, God promises to shield us from the devil. Now, in 1 Peter, and that's our second point, or actually the second thing that God will uh, shield you from, that is the devil. Now, in 1 Peter, in chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter, the apostle paints this picture of the devil as a roaring lion. And he's on the prowl, and he's seeking whom he may devour. Now, to counteract that, James, in his epistle, in chapter 4 and verse 7, tells us and encourages us, exhorts us to submit ourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, those two verses of Scripture... The truth of those two verses of Scripture is wonderfully, magnificently illustrated by the Bible character Job and his experience. Okay, so who who was Job? Well, just a snapshot in a nutshell. Uh, Job was someone, he was a guy, who actually lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his home, he lost his property, and yet he did not yield to Satan, to blame God. You know, the main point of the story in the book of Job is that God put a hedge of protection around him. We're told exactly that in chapter 1 and verse 10. And the devil could do nothing except what God allowed him to do. Now, I don't know, many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the story of Job, but basically, let me, a quick summary, a quick snapshot. One day, the angels of God and all of the angels, not only the angels of God, because de- the devil was a part of that company, were presenting themselves before God in heaven. And, they're, you know, the, the, it's sort of like the curtain is pulled back and we're getting a little bit of a glimpse of the heavenly scenes. And don't you love those verses of Scripture in the Bible? Anyway, on this particular occasion, Satan, the devil, is amongst that company who are presenting themselves before God. And all of a sudden they strike up a conversation and God begins to brag about his servant Job. Oh, God, please don't brag about me to the <laughs> devil. You know, God said to Satan, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Someone who is righteous, someone who is upright. And then the devil, in response to God making those claims, suggests, and he said, He's only seeking you for what? He could get out of it. Now, remember, I just mentioned that God had set a hedge about Job, even as he had set a hedge about you and me. And in that statement, in that claim that the devil made, in that, suggestion, in that suggestion, he's only serving you for what he could get out of serving you. Think about it. He was basically lowering that hedge. And then he went on in the conversation, suggesting... It was not his love for you, God. In other words, that wasn't Job's motivation that kept him faithful. It was rather his being fearful of you. And once again, what is he doing? He's lowering the hedge. He's taking the heads down a little bit lower. But you know how the whole story worked out. And his end was better than his beginning. And Job came through all of those tests flying colors. So what's the point? Well, there is nothing Satan will ever be able to do to you that must not first pass through the filter and the will of God, who allows it only in order to bring about a spiritual victory into your life. God will shield you against the devil. Now also in this list, a part of the big four, we're, if you've been counting, we're now uh, going to uh, address number three. Also in this list, he shields us against temptation. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 13, this is one that you're all familiar with, right? No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. So your particular situation you know, isn't something that someone else hasn't been tempted to, or hasn't gone through and hasn't been victorious. You know, it's not something that is special only to your experience. There are others who have gone before you who have experienced the very same thing. So, you know, get out of that mindset of thinking, well, you don't understand. He especially tempts me above everyone else. No, we listen, we've all been there. What does it say? No temptation has overtaken you except it's common to man, all man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Okay, so what do we take away from this? Well, there will never be a temptation that will come into your life that is too strong for you not to be able to overcome. You'll never experience temptations that you simply can't overcome. So what's your temptation? What is the fiery dart that the devil is tossing in your direction? Are you tempted by lust or sexual sin? Uh, Maybe uh, to achieve some uh, promotion or some occasion to gossip? Whatever, you fill in the blank. You know what you're dealing with. God knows that, and he knows that you can bear that temptation. So what's our part? And folks, let me suggest to you that there's always our part, right? Uh, God makes a way for us to be able to bear and escape those temptations, but nevertheless, there's our part. God's part far exceeds that of our part, but nevertheless, there's still our part. We have to work together in concert with him so that we can experience uh, the victory. So what is our part? Our part is to simply claim this promise that we're talking about this morning. Something like, Lord, strengthen me. You know, just cry out to the Lord. Lord, strengthen me and show me the way of deliverance. But you see, here's the trouble. The trouble with some people is that they're not looking for a way to escape it. That's the problem. They're fascinated by temptation. They're messing around with temptation. You know, one writer uh, describing this very thing, said, it's sort of like a bird fascinated with a snake that is about to devour it. And, and some of us approach you know, opportunities for temptation in that kind of a way. We're fascinated with it. We're toying with it. We're playing with it. Listen, we need to learn new habits. We need to look for God's deliverance. And if you do, you can be sure that your life will go from strength to strength. You'll realize God is your shield against temptation. And then finally of the big four, God is a shield against bitterness. And listen, there are things that come into our lives that if we allow them to, will cause us to become bitter, right? And cynical. Uh, As a cross-reference for this, and talk about someone who who really, you know, if you think about it, had almost a legitimate right to become bitter. Think about Paul. And in the book of Philippians, he wrote this letter while he was in jail. In Philippians chapter one, this is known, uh, Philippians is known as one of his prison epistles. In Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 14, he's writing to the church at Philippi. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You know, think about all of, Paul's experience being used of God, all of the beatings and the stonings and the imprisonments and the shipwreck and, and uh, you know, just all of the, the cat and nine tails laid to his back, all of those things that he had to suffer for the sake of the gospel. This was his perspective. What a different outlook and perspective on life's problems and difficulties. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. In other words, he was reaching those people that were a part of the palace guard with the gospel as he was imprisoned. And uh, those that were tending to him, he was shackled to a guard day and night. And when you know it, you know, Paul uh, uh, seized upon every opportunity to preach the gospel. He was allowed certain visitors who came from these various churches that he either himself had established or had something to do with. Uh, encouraging those churches. And so he would share, you know, they would come and ask him questions about things that were going on in the church and, and you know, seeking his counsel and he would provide that counsel and, and guess what? The praetorian guard that was shackled uh, in shifts to Paul would hear the advice, would hear the counsel, would hear the preaching of the gospel and many of them were getting saved, which actually led to a house church right under Caesar Nero's knows in in one of his uh, palaces. And so that's the reference to there. Uh, It was just up there a moment ago. I don't know what happened to it. There it is, palace God. So that has become evident to the whole palace God and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And then in verse 14, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, because they realized that as the other brethren knew that, you know, even though he was in chains, it didn't prevent the gospel from going forth, you see. And more people coming to know Christ and emboldened other people. They weren't afraid of themselves being thrown into prison and then placed in chains. So what do we find here? Paul is rejoicing. He hadn't become cynical. He hadn't become cantankerous. He wasn't bitter at all. So let me ask you this question. How are you facing your disappointments in life? And all of us have to face disappointments. How are you facing them? Are you just simply trusting in the Lord? Are you triumphing over bitterness? You know, for some of us, I mean, you know, life is really through some curves and some dirty deals. You know, some of us, it seems like we just kind of glide through life unscathed, never a problem, you know. Uh, you're catching up with one another and you're sharing your testimonies and it's always like, man, you know, blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing. And then you ask this other person, and man, they're just going through it. And it seems like they're always going through it, right? And, uh, you know, I I don't know why that is, but it is. It's all a part of God's sovereign will and God's plan within our lives. So how are you facing your disappointments in your life's experience? Are you allowing them to be, uh, allowing those things to cause you to become bitter? Or are you just simply looking to the Lord and trusting Him? Now, so that takes care of the shield part of this promise. God is our shield. Now, divine protection is only half the story. And that brings us to our second point, which is the smallest of the two. There's only two points to this message this morning. And that is, And if you're taking notes, write this down. God, our reward. So God isn't only our shield, but he is also our reward. Okay? Now, what are we talking about here? Our very great and exceedingly great reward. That is God himself. Now, this refers back to, and in context, when Abraham had returned from the battle against the four kings, chapter 14, where he tithed a portion of what he had recovered to Melchizedek, right? The high priest of the Most High God, which I believe, and we talked about this last time, was a Theophanies, it was an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, when he tithed to Melchizedek and returned the rest of the spoils to the king of Sodom. And you can read about that if you weren't here last time in chapter 14, verses 18 through 24. Now, in a little bit of history. In ancient times, the spoils of battle were the warrior's reward, it was sort of like their badge of success. You see, he had every right to keep them, but Abraham forfeited them. Now, why did he do that? Because he realized that the battle was won by God and not by his own hand. So in ancient time, the spoils of battle were the warrior's reward. It was their badge of success. And thus Abraham had every right to keep the booty that he had recovered. But he forfeited it. It was then God came to him and said, Abraham, I am your great reward. That is God himself. Self. Now, here's the question that I want to put to you. Is that enough for you? What are you looking for out of your life's experience? What are you looking from life? Is God enough for you? Really, think about that. Someone might respond to that question and say, well, uh, what, does our, what does that reward consist of? What can I earn? What can I do? What can I know? You know are you disappointed? That God offers himself to you? Well, you know, probably you don't understand what God is offering you. So what does it mean to have God as our exceeding great reward? Well, it means, first of all, that we share in all that God has. And folks, let me tell you something. He has it all. He has the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible tells us. He'll share heaven and earth with us. In the book of Romans in chapter 8 and verse 17, we are told that we are co-heirs together with Christ. We share in all that God is. That is the many attributes of God. We share in his wisdom. We share in his holiness. We share in his power. So let me ask you a question, and this should serve sort of like as a litmus test for us. How do you live your life as a Christian? Are you at rest? Are you at peace, or are you always anxious about everything? Are you always fearful, right? Is there always some kind of trauma, or drama rather, going on in your, your life? Hey, remember what the Bible tells us in the book of Jude, there's only one chapter, in verse 24. The Bible tells us that in reference to Jesus. He tells us there, he is able, that is Jesus, is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before His presence, that is, the Father, with exceeding joy. So, is your faith like that? If not, listen, no big deal. That's why God brought you here this morning. He can teach you these things that we've been talking about this morning. We'll learn that what God has promised, He is able to perform in you. And through you, remember this, gang, He is our shield and our exceeding great reward.
0: In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you, too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the word with us next time in my Father's house. Oh my heart, not be troubled.